First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They are warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at firstlite.com. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. For those of you joining us now, Yanni's telling us, uh, people who think Giannis has this glamorous life should know that Yanni was just explaining to us <laughs> that it is, in fact, possible to do a quick stop at Costco. Yeah, I don't mind doing Costco. Can you bump is me it, up just a little bit? Is there a T in there or not a T in there? Costco is the international shipping. Yeah, there is a T. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you see Connex containers yep. that say Costco. No, I think it's commonly... Uh, Said both ways for sure, and people are just speaking of the big. No, you're not. Big you're not hearing me. No, I am. I'm totally hearing you. Okay. I know that there's both out there, and I think when people refer to Costco, there are lots of people that just say Costco, and nobody corrects them. My mother's husband, who she married, I, I hesitate to call him my father-in-law because I feel like I'm a little bit old for. Or, no, no, stepdad. I feel step, like I'm old for that. Yeah. Um, he calls Barnes and Noble. Um, books and nobles. <laughs> there you go. And he calls it McDonald's and Italian dressing. Can I was you, just saying that you could I, be I've adopted efficient. all of that stuff, by the way. I do. You're, I, you're, I take everything from him that I... As soon as you got your reader glasses, you took on that stuff. Do you receive gifts from this man at Christmas? Uh-uh. Okay, yeah. You're, you're clear of the stepdad thing then. I just, I'm a little bit old to have a stepdad. I, I think so too. Getting older every day. Mm-hmm. You guys caught the, the I didn't send this to Phil. The finger that had 15 inches of tendon attached to it, was oh. that an alarming photograph on ice? I'd say. The color, everything about it. I, I sent can't... it to my wife. She's like, why are you sending this to me? <laughs> no, She says, I don't want to see this. And I said, no one does. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> yeah, because the tendon kind of throws you off. Yeah. Well, I mean, because we're all, you know. You talk about finger stories, you get them in. It's but self-perpetuating. Just, yeah. That's his dad. That's the guy over in Billings, guy from Billings. He's going to be at the live show. Um, I don't know why he's going to this one, but he's going to the to the Mesa, the Phoenix live show. Oh. Is he bringing from, the finger? No, I'm going to talk about what happened to the finger. He's going to be at the show. I'm going to I'm gonna think about having him up on stage just to ask him a couple quick questions. But his dad was a welder, somehow got his finger r- tore off. And it tore off 15 inches of tendon. 
Yeah, if you've ever done the little trick that we like to do with duck legs. Yeah, meat eater fishing game cookbook, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Where you just um, basically score the uh, joint there, right where the orange ends and the uh, feathers start. You score it just enough to get through the outside skin, and then you just yank the leg from the, while carefully hanging on to the uh, drumstick, I guess it would be, right? Not quite the thigh. You yank all those tendons right out of the drumstick. And uh, it was just a big version of that. Yeah, I challenge, I don't want to use a, like, uh, you know how the, the problem I have are a lot of my, like, pop references are old. Feel like, I, if I want to say, um, like, I would challenge Lou Ferrigno to uh, do that with a Canada goose leg. What, what should I say? Uh, you're talking about, he's like the 70s Hulk, right? Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, like, so I need like a contemporary example of someone with Herculean strength. Uh, Dave Batista. Really? Yeah. Well, he's kid, that? He's a, he's a, he was a, what, a wrestler? And now he's like a movie star? I the, challenge. The, the Rock would be a good one. <laughs> the Rock's still relevant. No, I'm not doing a Rock reference, man. Why not? Just not gonna. What's that other wrestler guy that's in all the movies? Rourke Denver was in that reality TV oh. show with him. John Cena? John Cena. Yeah. Yeah. I would challenge John. I would challenge John Cena to do that with a Canada Goose leg. It's good. I saw Yanni try it. He's no John Cena. He couldn't no, do it. it. But I didn't try it by myself, nonetheless. You tag teamed it with the flip flop flesher. That's right. And it was not even kind of budging. Would it you actually guys... budged, and then it hit like a wall, and it was not going. Do you any feel farther. that you and and Seth could, if you were tag teaming? With John Cena on the other side? Yeah, so tag team match. You, Seth, and John Cena, would you be able to whoop him? No. Really? I don't think so. Not if he's a, some kind of a fighter. I mean, those skills, you know, go a long way. Uh, we're joined by Anthony Licata. You, now you'd, it'd be customary to say, like, hello. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Callahan, Seth, or uh, Phil the Engineer is here, of course, Yanni, and Kevin Sloan, first ever time on the show. Yeah. Welcome. You guys finally let me on. Congrats. Yeah. We usually try to lock the door, but he crawled in. Um, a couple things. So we t- Oh, the finger. What happened? Uh, working on a – he's a welder, and they were in, uh, he got his glove caught in a drill press. The, uh, the, the, the bit wrapped around the glove. Oof. The glove, the, the bit got the glove, the glove got the finger and pulled it 15 inches of tendon. What they did with it is the guy that wrote in, Jay Ethan, um, is his first names. What they did was that when he got married, they, they want, they, he, was got, he got to reading about Viking funerals. And the night before he got married, they took the old man's finger. It was in his brother-in-law's freezer. They took the old man's free uh, finger and gave it a Viking funeral in a kiddie pool in the backyard. 50 people in attendance. So they burned it? A Viking funeral? They, they burned, burned the, the finger sh- in a floating in a little boat in a kiddie <laughs> pool. Because <laughs> like a Viking funeral, uh, for those of you out of, the, out of the know, it'd be they put you in a boat full of sticks and firewood and whatnot and douse you in gas and light it on fire and shove you out. There was some cute kids movie, wasn't there? Where the that was like the guy's last dying wish, and the adults wouldn't let it happen, and all the kids had to conspire to make it happen. And at the at very end, they launched the last flaming right. arrow, and 
land. That sounds yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then then the, then the movie Dead Man, he kind of does something when he finally gets William Blake. Um, you guys, if if you're not familiar with the Dead Man, I'd I'd like you to please leave. But I've been the trying studio. to watch that movie for Excuse like five me. years now. It's hard um, to find. And the end of Dead Man, it's, I can't explain it. It takes too long to explain it. Uh, moving on. The is this an old joke? A guy wrote in. I feel like this is like an old joke. I'm going to tell you guys what it is. So he, this guy, he, there's a great level of specificity in the, an email that a person wrote in. Upper East Tennessee. He's saying there's a lot of farmers that have turned to raising sheep as the demand for tobacco has fallen. Does this sound legit? Sure. I mean, that sounds perfectly plausible. Um, influx of raising sheep has brought an increase in the coyote population. Lots of people having trouble with coyotes. They have one of those meetings where all the different stakeholders come in and fish and game is there and there's farmers there and other interested parties all show up and they're exploring these solutions and the solutions include using donkeys to protect herds, um, the cost benefit of hiring coyote hunters to try to do a population reduction. And it said that one lady shows up uh, and an animal rights activist shows up and she proposes that they set live traps for the coyotes and castrate the males and then release them. To which an old farmer says, lady, I don't think you understand the problem. These coyotes aren't having sex with our sheep. They're killing them. <laughs> is that an old joke? That is an old one, yeah. It is? Yeah. I thought it might be an old joke. Yeah. Um, moving on. So, I, can I ask? You guys are like a lame no, group no, of people to hang out with. Well, I thought there was going to be more of the story here. Oh, okay. Okay, so this person is saying that the tobacco, when, when it was all tobacco up there, it didn't support the amount of wildlife that would then have a neighboring large predator, uh, not a large predator, but a large population of coyotes being the predator. What I think is going on. And then add the sheep because nobody's raising sheep and making any sort of cash if they're letting coyotes but, eat them. But do you know the joke, um, the old, the, the wild game cooking joke? Where you describe like a very elaborate process of cooking something, and then you cook it on a cedar plank, and the punchline is always the same. Yes. And then you throw out the duck and eat the wood, right? But yeah. the, I think it's that joke. But he's just spinning. Right. The tobacco. The tobacco thing is the setup. Like the set being like, oh, I'll tell you how to cook a coot. Yeah. Eat the board. I, or I'm sure there were plenty of coyotes there before, but it wasn't a problem until people started raising sheep. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, worry about it. eating the tobacco because it makes you sick. <laughs> I found that out in fifth grade, me and Stanley Johnson. <laughs> me and Stanley Johnson, we were making agricultural maps. You had to glue ag products to a map of the U.S., and someone brought in a big old thing of uh, long leaf tobacco. And me and Stanley knew that that was something that people like to do, is chew tobacco, and we ate some and had to go home. <laughs> I, was, I was literally hallucinating. <laughs> uh-huh. Throwing up. But it cured you. Had to get you. rescued by my mom. I never became a dipper. Um, another quick note. Oh, I did that. 
Oh, this is interesting. Guy wrote in that they were they made some bear sliders, black bear sliders, and someone cracked a joke. What's called a ten ten joke? I don't know what that is. Someone cracked a ten ten joke, and the guy snorted, eating his bear slider, and got so much bear slider up his nose that he wound up at the hospital. <laughs> his sinus cavity packed full of a bear slider. What was the joke? Must have been a good joke. A ten ten joke. Is that bad? Yeah, I need to do some research on what a ten ten joke is. That that seems extreme. Yeah, they said they, they said they basically pressure washed the the bears the black bear meat back out of his sinus. My yeah. brother did that when he was a kid with a, a rubber night walker for fishing. My mom put him to bed. He was playing with it. She said, oh, "What's a rubber night walker? Like a, a rubber worm, like a soft plastic oh, okay. bait, right?" You guys call them night walkers? Yeah, that's what my dad calls it. So that's why I did it because <laughs> uh, I've heard my dad tell the story so to- so many times. I I told it the way my father would. Um, yeah, soft plastic, six inch rubber worm. Did you guys, when you were kids, did you have the kind that had the, the three gold hooks? Yes. And it, like, it was a purple worm, yeah. pink dot, yes. and it had the three hooks. Oh yes. my God, they'll slay, man. They did, they killed. And it came like tied like a snell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, my brother was playing with one when my mom put him to bed. He was like three. And, uh, when she left, he shoved it so far up his nose that, uh, had to go to the hospital and get it pressure washed out. Oh. That corroborates that story. Yeah, so that could happen. Uh, yeah, any, any news on ten ten jokes? Yeah, the Urban Dictionary. Is it? Can you say it on the air? Yeah, for oh, sure. Okay, I think so. Um, it says. Is it like that, a your ma joke? No, it's something oh. you used to. That, uh, those are funny. <laughs> when you say when um, there's a f- female with voluptuous okay breasts. Go on. So he made a joke about this, and it mm-hmm. caused him to get the bear stuck in his mm-hmm. nose. Hmm. Um, there's a good story a guy wrote in about. His buddy, they're cliff jumping. And he knows a guy that jumps off a cliff so high. I, there's a lot to it, but I'm going to skip to the graphic part. When he struck the water, his swim trunks captured a scoop of water that caused them to rip up the inseam, causing a small laceration between his legs. The hydraulic pressure proceeded to widen the hole enough that his pelvis broke into three plate pieces and folded outwards. The jet of water traveled upwards through his body with enough force to puncture his left lung, severing both femoral arteries, urethra, and scrambling his intestines. The only reason he did not die within seconds is that the ends of his arteries were pushed into both sides of the fractured pelvis, which then pinched them shut. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think about that, <laughs> Phil? Why are you laughing? Phil, you're not even on the show. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, was just, I was picturing, you, you did a very good job, like a very visual play-by-play of that, and I was running through it in my head and uh, you were, you trying, were trying to put to it together. You, yeah. were, you were trying to follow. Uh-huh. And in the end, you're feeling it or not feeling oh, it? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was the, the, the pinching. That was, that was a, an ending for sure. So you believe that that happened to that person? Oh, absolutely person. not. It was just a good story. No, that sounds crazy, right? Am I? <laughs> Phil is not buying it. Yanni? If I had to put my life on it, yeah, I'd say I'm not buying it either. Torres if swim, it came down to it. Torres swim trunks. I can believe that. And it led to like a Rube Goldberg scenario. <laughs> exactly. In which is lung. I don't know that reference. Oh, what? 
Yeah, you'll find Yanni knows a lot of stuff, but sometimes you'll find he's like kind of like mysterious little holes. Rube Goldberg would be like like uh, these contraptions, right? Like a ping pong ball falls and tips a lever, and the lever uh-huh. causes a little drop of water to drip in a bucket of water, and the bucket of water then tips. Your kids and ever play Mousetrap that game? Yeah, that it's like it's that. a Rube Goldberg contraption. Oh, and is that named after a person? Well, I'd, I'd like to think that it's named after Rube Goldberg. <laughs> Rube is the person. Like you're a real Rube. All right. Now, <laughs> the the other thing is, it's like this person would be so the, the cliff the cliff jumper. Yeah, the cliff jumper is like. Oh, a, you know, can I, can I interrupt you? Yeah. The finger with the 15 inches of tendon. I have the photographs. I would love nothing more than to put them on Instagram. I feel like that that would cause me damage with the folks at Instagram and I would get my account removed. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like you would? Nah. Yeah, it's not good. I know that medical Instagram pages have a lot of problem where they get censored even though they're trying to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I follow a couple of them that are pretty interesting. Go on. But, uh, so anyway, this, this cliff jumper to the point seems so precariously kept together <laughs> that no surgeon in the world would even attempt to touch the, the person. Like a Humpty Dumpty, almost like a Humpty Dumpty kind of level of. Yeah. It's yeah. a house of cards type of you ever hear <laughs> surgical hum- Yeah, and you ever heard of Humpty, Humpty Dumpty? I got it. Got, got Not it. the rapper. <laughs> <laughs> the Humpty Hump? Yeah. I don't think his name was Humpty Dumpty. Though. No, what was it? He sang the Humpty Hump. It yeah. was uh, the Digital Underground. But the I, Digital Underground. I can't remember the name yeah. of the, uh, the rapper himself. The final thing, the final thing I want to talk about before we talk about what we're supposed <laughs> to talk about. Uh, my my uh, great friend and neighbor, um, Patrick, he, he, he took offense. Yanni, you weren't here, but we were dogging on you behind your back about how you're not a true outdoorsman. Um. He was texting me today about uh, making some ski plans. Speaking oh, of Patrick. Come on. Now I'm not going to read his note. Did he really? <laughs> come on. Bring it. Okay. He doesn't like, he, he, he takes offense by the idea that, um, I, I don't think, like, I, I know Yanni not to be a true outdoorsman because he likes to ski. Because um, a true outdoorsman wants to be doing outdoor, you know, wants to be hunting and fishing. Um, it would never, like, take all those, you know, waste all that time. So, uh, my neighbor, my beloved neighbor, Patrick, who has a kiln, he, he like throws, he does ceramics work. Um, he accuses me of commandeering the definition of a true outdoorsman. And he doesn't like it. He takes offense at it being limited to exclusively hunting and fishing year round with no inclusion of other activities that indeed require being out of doors and in the wilds of nature. Then he goes on to talk about all kinds of Dictionary definitions of outdoorsman. One who spends much time in the outdoors or in outdoor activities. A person devoted to outdoor sports and recreational activities such as hunting, hiking, fishing, and camping. And then he goes on and on about how, you know, it teaches everyone to, to you appreciate all the seasons and you're learning about all this kind of stuff. Now you guys are going skiing together. So if we were out, if I just happen to go backpacking, say this summer, is that also going to be a notch against my outdoors? Not if you're scouting. 
Right. Not if you're scouting. Got to be scouting. Now, my boy was just at ski lessons, and he took note of a weasel, which what people often do, took note of a weasel. So I would almost roll that into a scouting trip. <laughs> um, he says, we should be celebrating anyone getting outside and enjoying our public lands, regardless of the means that brought them to that space. A true outdoorsman is simply a human being who, at their core, loves and understands the natural world and prefers to be immersed in it whenever possible. Well put. Yeah. Uh, all right, freshly back. From, here's what we're supposed to be talking about. Freshly back from Mexico, coos deer hunting. Um, I fear that I'm a little bit torn about top. I feel like coos deer hunting is like, is going to become like a famous thing. You're worried about ruining it. I don't know. That's what I'm torn about is because, uh, one, the mentality of – I used to have a friend. I'm still good friends with them, and they, they used to make these uh, these really good pickles. You know, and they had like a family recipe of how they made the pickles and people who ate the pickles had joy. Like they loved the pickles and they'd be like, how did you, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to make some of those pickles so that I can have more joy. And they would. Did you tell them you should pick up skiing? The The family. joy. Yeah. the No, I was explaining the idea the other day. I kind of put my finger on it where it's like a juvenile sport because (laughs) it's like. The, the, the sensation you're supposed to have is, is captured by the word, uh, wee. <laughs> it's so like, like children, like the way children would slide down things like McDonald's and stuff at the slides. Um, but, uh, what was I saying? Pickles. <laughs> Pickles. Oh, the Droll. Yeah. The, uh, he's been on the show, Matt Droll's. Um, the Droll's family had like a pickle recipe and they were reluctant to give it up. And you'd be like, but if the, it, it, people like to eat the pickles and it brings joy to their lives. And since you're not in the business of selling pickles and you're not depriving yourself of a revenue stream and you know that the taste of these pickles brings joy, what is the motivation to deprive, right? Like, what are you getting out of people not having joy in their lives? Like, like what is the benefit of monopolizing a good way to make a pickle when there's no financial stake? Just knowing that I, I can, have really good pickles I can take and a you shot. don't? Please. No, because yeah, because you are the only purveyor of that pickle joy. It's just, yeah, any recipe is that way that that does that people are like, yeah, I don't think so. You know, like my wife is was kind of uh, would hold on to that uh, adult cookie recipe. There would be like so much the one that she brings to the Christmas party because she wants to revel in the. She wants to be like the joy that it generates. I want to be the only person that can harness the joy. Yeah, you get to be the person. The gratitude. You get to be the person that's like, ooh, Jennifer's cookies. Jennifer's cookies. Matt's pickles. Can you imagine if the medical yeah. world, if the medical world... Um, they do do that. No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, well, except they just put a price tag on it. Exactly. But they don't be like, oh, no, I know how to save your life from that talent. <laughs> I think it's just, I'm not gonna allow it's just it to a different. Publi- diff- I'm not gonna allow it to be published. It's just a different form of currency. <laughs> Anyhow, the the coos deer conundrum. Uh, the coos deer conundrum is that it's like it's like a really special thing, and it feels like right now is the good old days. We're talking about hunting coos deer in Sonora, Mexico. Why do you feel today is the good old days? 
because I can't picture that it was at some point in time better. Do you know? You know what I mean? It feels like it feels like you're touching something like almost perfect and pristine. Certainly pristine. I think that's one of the coolest parts about going down there. It feels like perfect. Yeah. It doesn't feel like anyone could say like, "Oh, you know, when I was a boy." I mean, we commented we were down there. It felt like no one had been there since we were there last year. Yeah. Kind of felt untouched. Yeah, you don't get to experience that very often. No, it's an interesting landscape too, because just historically, there's never been a ton of people there. There, you know, I mean, there's mining has been the largest population driver in that area of the world. I think historically, um, and you know, <clears throat> there's just not that many people who have hunted deer up in those mountains. All in all. No, it, it contradicts a point that the area. So what we're talking about is Sonora. So it's not really the Sonora Desert because you're up in these things. These uh, No, they're referred to as the Sonoran Mountains. Sonoran Mountains. Um, they rise up from, a, you know, they rise up from the flat desert and these kind of like islandy mountain chains. Uh, low down, like, you know, in the, the, in the slopes leading up to them is, you know, just very sandy, rocky ground with like octillo cactus and then you go up and up and up and eventually you get high enough you get up where there's some you know full-on timber like some pine trees scattered here and there have you guys described how nasty octillo is that that's a good context plant. no but i used to like to fantasize about uh we used to, to sit there when we we're glassing we would sit there and describe ways you know you kind of be like you know what would be funny is like if you took one of these and X, Y, and Z, your buddy. <laughs> or took one of these and you and your other buddy did this to the other buddy. This was Steve and <laughs> the mouse in his pocket were, was having this, were having this conversation. No, we talked about making bullwhips out of oak teos, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great plant. It's, It'd be it's like nasty. a it, like if you were like a nefarious torturer, Ocotillo would be like a thing you'd have in your box of yeah. torture equipment. You'd be growing it in your backyard on yeah, purpose. Exactly. You'd be yeah. like, oh yeah, I'll go out and get an Ocotillo. Co- um, Coos deer seem to love to feed in it. Yeah, they like it. You know what, Cal? I was telling Cal that walking out in the dark the other night with a um, packing a Coos deer out in the dark, and we got to talking about how I was telling how on other ranches I'd been in in Sonora that were lower. You would find coos deer on these little humps loaded with oak teal, and there's always grass in there. And Cal had a great point: is that the cattle don't like to go in there, so the grass doesn't get grazed mm-hmm. on the oak teal humps, which I thought was a pl- very plausible theory. Plausible and theory. Maybe there's some sort of like safety from predators as well. You know, like stuff doesn't want to go in because there. it's a it's a weird thing where. It's thick and open at the same time. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Like you can like it can be covered in oak and teal, but yet you can see every square inch of the hillside, but you can't go running across that hillside. No. Yeah. That's a good point. Um so we're, we're like where we're hunting is like fairly close to the I mean you're looking back into the US. I think we should like do a better job of describing oak and teal. Oh, go so, ahead. It looks like a giant torture apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a like a, a spaghetti noodle that's twelve feet tall. 
Yeah, I think it can be two that inch diameter. Two inch diameter at the base, the giant one, covered in very very durable cactus thorns. With a yellow flower, often a yellow flower looks pretty. Yeah, and if you took it and cut it off, and then deburred a section for a handle, <laughs> you would have a formidable. Yes. Tool. Yeah, and each plant probably has, I don't know, quite a few, 20, 30 stalks mm-hmm. kind of coming out in mm-hmm. V formation. I'm looking at, when you Google image it, it's all just pictures of it in the springtime when it's blooming and it actually has a beautiful red flower on it. But we never see that since we're down there in January. Uh, a point I was going to make about, we're going to talk a fair bit about this, but a point I was going to make about, a thing about the mountains in Sonora, so like, like just across the border from Arizona. Um, it kind of contradicts, it contradicts a point I've often made about like pristine, like pristine habitats is that I would always say like in the U S we've, we've gotten to a point where anything, like all the stuff that we have that's pristine is pristine because someone kind of like decided to have it be that way. Right. Like for a lot of our nation's history, we had pristine places in spite of our best efforts to like get rid of them all. And then we had a switch. We like had a national mindset change. And then now we kind of like have pristine things because we've decided that they're, they should be that way. Right. Like we do things to make hope to, to help them stay that way. Protections. But down there, it's like, it, it just really, I've, I've said it every time we talk about this, every year if we talk about Kuzir, it is, it is like traveling. All you need to do, like you cross this geopolitical, this like very seemingly arbitrarily paced, geopolitical boundary and cross into Mexico and everything changes. Yeah, it's like I you, agree. you cross a fence and there is a guy on the side of the road with a splitting mall and a giant pile of mesquite basically split to serve. <laughs> split yeah. to serve. Split yeah. to serve cooking wood. It is a different place. And then you go in the mountains, it's like, it's like, off, you don't see anyone for days, and then you finally see some person riding on a trail off in the mountains with like three dogs and a lever action carbine and a leather scabbard on the side of a horse going Lord knows where. And he does that every single day with a burlap sack full of his stuff that he needs tied around the saddle horn. It is a different land, yeah. And you look. If you look really hard, there's some, I'm very sure, state-of-the-art surveillance balloon, you know, suspended above the border. And it's just so weird that that is there. And probably, like, all the technology on the frickin' planet, to some degree, right there. And then you have this handful of caballeros that are living like that stuff never existed. No electricity. On some, you know, I, I don't want to like, over the years we've hunted quite a number of, I'll explain a little bit. No, you know, Yanni, you do it. Explain how the system works down there, Yanni. Do all the, all the trimmings about like that the state, you know, they make an assessment. Uh-huh. Jay Scott. Uh-huh. Cal, I just have a quick correction. I just did a quick little uh, Google search on Caballero. And I think it's, uh, oh, Vaquero. Mexican gentleman is Caballero. Oh, Vaquero. Vaquero. Yeah, but yeah. people yeah, always boy. criticize how we say Vaquero. They say it's Vaquero. Right. Yeah, you're supposed to say your V's like a V. Like Venado is, you know, Venado. Venado. We say Venado. Deer. Um, 
Beinado. Guajalote is what in Sonora, that's wild turkey. Well, Beto likes uh, El Pollo Grande for turkey. That was oh, really? a joke. Yeah. Big chicken? Yep. Now, so, what do you want me to explain is how how how, the, it all works. how some wildlife management works. Yeah, I want you to start with. I want you to start. Yep, yep, yep. Nuts to soup. Best to my knowledge, um, a wildlife biologist that is that uh, works for the Mexican federal government <clears throat> goes to <clears throat> state state government. My understanding. Okay, so he works for the Sonoran, Sonoran State. I don't know. A government person. Yeah, they go to each of these ranches, and they sort of do a game count, and they look at the habitat. And then from there, they say, this ranch that you guys uh, own, you guys can have six or 10 or 12 deer tags, 20 uh, javelina tags, and who knows what else. Tur- they give turkey tags. Turkey tags, too. That's right. That's probably about it, right? Probably about it. Yeah. Maybe de- maybe you can speak to that, Annie, Anthony. You hunted ducks in Mexico, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a different situation than a ranch, though, in a different state, so it may right. work differently. And then, and, 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 yeah, in other areas of Sonora, they have mule deer, but we never see them where we go. That's right. And so they have these tags, and I guess they the family could just take the tags and go hunting, or they could just give them to friends. But what's happened because of the popularity of coos deer? Well, can I, I want to interject. Sure. Because I'm developing a theory about this. I don't think that they give a shit about the tags. I think if they want to hunt deer, they hunt deer. Mm. My sense. That could be too. My sense is like, oh, how cute. You're going to give me deer tags? Okay. Which are valuable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that it, I, I don't think that the vaqueros, vaqueros, I don't like saying vaqueros. Is that really how I'm supposed to say it? Vaquero. Okay. I don't think that those guys are like applying for like that they're like worried about deer tags. No, definitely not. <laughs> so I think that the deer tags are Yeah, maybe it's just for gringos. Yeah. Just so that we can get them back across the border mm-hmm. legally. So anyways, they ha- they're sitting on these tags and um how it works for us is that our buddy Jay Scott J. Scott Outdoors and the Colburn and Scott Colburn out- and Scott Outfitters. Outfitting team. Yep. Um, they go and find, they scout ranches. They find ranches that have tags available and ranches that also have like, there's different levels of the houses, but some sort of lodging that you can stay at. Um, and then they basically, by buying the tags, they sort of also lease the ranch. So if there's. Because you've monopolized the deer hunting on the ranch. Yeah, yeah. But they're pretty pricey tags, you know, anywhere. Increasing dramatically. Is that right? Do you remember what the first one was that you ever paid for? Haven't they gone from like 1000 or 1200 and <clears throat> Yeah, but that might be over 20 years. Oh, okay. So if they've doubled in price in 20 years. Because yeah, I, guess I think sense. now they're around 3000 a piece. So yeah, $3,000 gets you a Kuzier tag, and you usually have to buy, again, because... Like Jay has to to lease the ranch, he's gonna have to buy all the tags, right? So if you want to go to a ranch, you can't just say, "Oh, I'm just gonna go there by myself and I'll take one tag," because he's got, you know, eighteen k into it. Yeah, he's got many. He's got many years into developing relationships with some places. That's right. And I I don't, I don't know that. I I don't know what like the Dave. I don't know what sort of the standard arrangement is, but he seems to make an arrangement where 
you have some, whether it's like some old bombed out hut or a really nice place, like someplace mm-hmm. to stay. Yeah. And we've stayed in some places that are like a concrete shell. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. With some sort of pile r- of rags r- in the corner, running water, yeah. usually some mattresses that you'd just rather use your own uh, sleeping pad on the ground or like gorgeous bed. places that are like nicer than your own house. Yeah. With some really awesome, like, Mexican saltillo um, tile work and stone work or some fake stone work in the, yeah. in the heart that it was at this house that we stayed at. Yeah, and this kind of weird this weird sort of contradiction of, like, really big places that have no power. Yeah. Well, no, they You walk have... around with a headlamp burning wood. No, they have power. A generator Gener- and solar. But, yeah. yeah, they're not, like, you know. They're not hooked up to the grid. on the grid. Yeah, yeah exactly. No. Um, so yeah, so once you buy them, Jay Scott's got a, a system set up. It's like his DIY coos deer hunting system, our program. And, uh, you can get a hold of him and he will basically sell you those tags and then also help, help arrange the whole process of you going from Douglas, Arizona is usually our, um, port of entry or the crossing point when we go where we go into Mexico. And so he's sort of like from that moment when you're going to go into Mexico, he kind of lines out every single step that gets you all the way to to the ranch and coos deer hunting. And he has he's like and he's got locals that he's met yes. there that he works with and helps them guide and do various things. Yeah. Probably a couple of them at least are like dual citizens so they can travel back and forth freely. They speak Spanish very well. They know the low down, what goes on in Agua Prieta. So it makes it a very, like, safe... Because a lot of people have worries, you know, about going in, into old Mexico. I got know, a lot of, of comments to... just from the one Instagram post I did where people were like, now, how do you feel? And now, is this... Safe? Now, aren't you worried? And things like that. Mm-hmm. I've gone... Yes. Yes, I am worried. I have gone... How many times have we gone? Seven times? Something like that, probably. Have never had a single ounce of a problem. Yet, I'm always a little teensy bit scared, only in the transportation part, but have never had a problem at all. Anthony, on the other hand. Yeah, I've been (laughs) twice. But not uh, this area. Not that where we were. Hundreds of miles away. This time, uh, no issues. Where I was before, um, uh, an area near called Sassabee. Um, I had a good coos deer hunting there. It was a beautiful area, very similar area, a little lower elevation. So terrain was a little different. Um, we did run into some folks who were with cartel, um, on the property we were, I wouldn't say it was a problem, you know, uh, didn't really cause any issues, but we were on the property. It was right after the election. Tell the whole damn story. It's it's a great story. story. It's a good story. Settle in, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it was, um, this it's, was in, it's got everything. It's got politics. And- yeah, 2016, right after the presidential election, after um, President Trump had been elected, but before his inauguration. Did you know we were hunting and couldn't find out who won? Oh, really? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was nerve-wracking. Um, so the ranch that I was hunting is a, a big ranch, and it, it borders right up against the United States border. And... The outfitter who set it up, you know, had said, you know, you may see some people crossing on the ranch. They cro- they used the, the ranch to cross the border. And it also is close to a pretty wild area in Arizona, so it's a good place to cross. Um, said nothing to worry about, but, you know, just be aware. 
He said, you may see some army folks too, folks from the Mexican army, whatnot. Okay. This is starting to sound like that joke, like, um, what should I wear? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just going to be you and me. <laughs> We're gone. Um, so uh, in the course of a week of hunting, we saw it had to be, it was well over 100. It was probably close to 200 people who were crossing the border. Now, this ranch Were was, they, in the words of the film Jeremiah Johnson, molesting your hunt? Um, no. For the most part, right? You'd see them on the roads. And now, this ranch was, I say the roads, it was like the ranch we were on. It's a big, wild place off the grid, old, um, you know, uh, small stone house, cowboys on horseback, same kind of deal. Mm-hmm. But you'd see these folks on the ranch roads, um, you know, about like a line of 20 people, you know, carrying their stuff, going across the border. Every water hole... You'd often seen like water jugs and whatnot. And so the outfitter who had been hunting that ranch for some time said, we've seen people before, but this is by far the most people we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it was um, after, as I said, after the election. There oh, was kind that's, of a, I was wondering. People were expecting yes. a policy shift. When you people, told me that story, yes. we didn't get to like why it mattered that it was right after the right. election. So, right. So they're expecting a policy shift. So there was a huge surge of people crossing the border. Like get it while the getting's good. Get it while the getting's good. So we saw lots of people. Didn't affect our hunt. And you know what a, a would, lot would the would the would you be seeing like sneaking or just no just tra- walking. Just traveling. Just traveling. Heads down. They would be yeah. traveling. In a line traveling. It looked like it was almost organized, right? Okay. Like somebody was leading and everybody else was in single file. Sometimes you'd see them on But not like carpet taped to the bottom of their shoes. And, no, not sneaking no. at all. Um, and sometimes you'd see a group resting, right? Stopping at a spot, whether they're resting or waiting, you know, I'm not quite sure. And so, you know, with people crossing, that's uh, the flow of people is often controlled by the cartels, just like the flow of drugs. So, you know, we knew there was cartel activity in the area and the outfitter had said at the beginning of the season, he sends one of his guys to talk to one of the guys from the cartel and says, hey, we're coming to hunt. You know, we know you're here. We're going to be here. We're all good, right? You know, and there's no problems. Um, you know, and his his philosophy is generally, um, you know, the cartel people are doing their thing. They don't want to mess with us. They don't, they don't want to cause any trouble. So there was one day we were driving on the roads, um, going to a new hunting spot, and we ran into the truck from other people in our hunting party, you know, Ran into each other on the road. We stop, we get out of the trucks, and we stop to just chat and see, hey, what are you seeing? Where are you going? And as we're doing that, we look up the road and we see this this guy running, you know, kind of trotting at us. He's got a, um, you know, semi-auto military rifle, and he's in fatigues. And we think, oh, here's a guy from the Army. And when he got closer, we realized this is no guy from the Army. You know, was not standard issue fatigues. So he came up speaking Spanish and, um, hey, what are you guys doing? And uh, he said, hey, how are you? And we had a, a cooler of beer in the back of the truck. Not why we were hunting, be clear, but for after the hunt. <laughs> okay. But it's, it's key for the story. We said, hey, would you like a cold beer? Cerveza. <laughs> so we gave him, uh, gave him a beer and he asked for more for, he said, oh, can I have some, this is all in Spanish, for my boss. And he points up the hill, and we look up at the top of this plateau, and you can see there's a huge encampment of men up there. Huh. A whole bunch of people. And so we gave him a couple more, and then all of a sudden, 
somebody comes and two other guys, three other guys come down, one in the lead, and the man we're talking to goes, oh, he's my boss. So this was the guy in charge. So he comes up and he's all smiles and we give some more beer even still. And he says, oh, you know, where are you guys hunting? What trucks are you driving? You know, he wanted to know what rigs we were driving, where we're going to be. He wanted to know if we're seeing any deer. And he actually asked, he said, oh, if you have some extra meat, hang a quarter right here for us. We're like, yeah, sure. Um, Did he give you any hot tips? He did not give us any hot tips (laughs) about where they saw deer. Yanni would have pried a couple out of them, man. (laughs) (laughs) But we said, um, you know, hey, we're just, we're hunting. We know you guys are working and we're just working and. All right, so long. <laughs> and the one funny thing was, though, we had a, a one a guy who was with us, a really good photographer, had a nice camera, and pulls that camera up. And <laughs> they go, no, no, no. <laughs> right away. <laughs> they like get real serious, and we just put the cameras down. Like, no photos. They made very clear, no photos. And uh, we went on our way. You just kept hunting. Yeah, we just kept didn't, hunting. Didn't go running home. No, but we didn't go running home. We kept hunting. I, I wouldn't say like they gave us trouble or we felt threatened. Yeah. They were, you know, they, but you realize you're talking to people who would kill you if it was in their best interest. But you're thinking, well, they don't really, you know, they're doing their thing. They don't want trouble with us. And so it's all right. But um, we did keep the rifles in the house, you know. Um, yeah. We did not go out on the ranch roads at night. You know, we stayed in the in the building at night. We we did not go out after dark very much. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands. So we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind. First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing women's gear over the last couple of years uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot it's more true to size it's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit Uh, all of the pieces to me got an all-around upgrade it's awesome to see so for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. Yeah, I have a little bit of a hard time, not a hard time with the story, but like I don't, I always want to stress like nothing's ever happened. And, and you know, yeah. and, and Jay works. Yeah, nothing happened. That, yeah, that's, yeah. I just, no, I, I, I no, wanna, no, I'm not saying, I would count that as something happening. Yeah, that happened. That, 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 just, like, that'd it, be something, that, but I've never had anything happen, yeah. yet I feel slightly uneasy yeah. in the coming and going. Right. It's and, intimidating. Right? Like, it's not super clear what you're supposed to do at all points when you cross with a gun. Right? I've, I've traveled to multiple countries with guns before. Never felt intimidated, like, crossing the border there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like, it's somehow, um, there's, like, a subjectivity to it. It's not like, oh, you do this, this, and this. It feels like at every interaction, it feels like there's yeah, a could question. Go mul- there's, like, a question mark lingering over it. It could definitely go multiple ways at each interaction. Yeah. And there's not, like, one interaction. There's interactions, you know, three, four of them as, as you go through. But I feel like that's been ironed out or smoothed out over the, over the years. And probably a lot has to do with just the, the volume that Jay, you know, takes through there with his business. That 
there, there's less and less of that. Yeah. Because I'm sure if, yeah, if it's quiet and there's like the right corrupt, corrupt uh, police officer, then yeah, they, the lingering question is, is, hey, you know, can you drop a 20 spot here to make things, to get your stamp as opposed to just, I'm supposed to give you the stamp because you're paperwork is proper you know yeah yanni one time had to do like a side transaction with an official Mm -hmm. um the 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 rifle question comes up a lot it's always different but you way in advance way yeah yeah because you have to get a this is something i left out didn't leave it out just hadn't gotten to it yet but oh yeah you're supposed to be still doing your little chore when you buy that tag from the ranch you then enter into a hunting contract with the ranch. And that hunting contract, once it is signed, um, then it basically allows you to get a gun permit from the federal, the Mexican federal government. Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why it's kind of an elite group of hard players who goes down there to hunt because it's not – you don't like just wake up one morning and decide you're going to go down no. there. For the simple reason that you have to like do – you have to – there's a process. Yeah. But it is like, it's... I don't, don't, I don't know go through I, the process with like a truck, a gun, explain all that. Well, and the gun process, the length, because we turned in our weapon information well, Summer, well, summertime. well in advance. Yeah. Yeah. Summertime. Yeah. I mean, Jay likes to have his eyes dotted and T's crossed and just like kind of everything done and in the bag two, three months in advance. Because if you get a permit back, like one time happened to me and one of the numbers on the serial number was off by a number and it cost me, well, it cost me two days of hunting on that trip because I had to basically hang out in Agua Prieta and wait as my new gun permit had to go all the way to Hermosillo, the capital city of Sonora, Mm -hmm. and then come all the way back. And it doesn't go via fax. It's got to be original down there. And it went on a bus. Oh jeez! <laughs> and it came back on a bus, and our um, this is the only way to do it because our serial number issue this time was a lengthy ordeal, and that was on our um, rental car or VIN number rather. We had a VIN number issue, mm-hmm. um, and that was the same deal. It's like yeah. you want that stuff. And this just speaks to how the world is perfect. different down there once you cross that border. Um, it's like you can't really understand why they need what they need, but they want it, you know, and it's got to be done the way that they want it. A lot of originals, as far as documents go, you know, we make copies just in case you need it for a backup, but like they don't really like the copy thing. They want to see originals. So yeah, most people will just take their own vehicle through because I think I would guess that most hunters that go through Jay's services are from Arizona or within driving distance of Arizona. People who the, know the, coos deer, the, DI, too. the DIY guys, yeah, guys that are fired up about coos deer, and because um, it's the good old days, yeah. The vehicle right now, the driver that's that's going through the vehicle has to be in your name. The registration has to be in your name. VIN numbers have to all match up. Same thing goes with the trailer that your side-by-side is on if you're using one, and it's a crucial piece of equipment. Um, And it all has to just match up. For us, it's a little more difficult because we're flying into Tucson because it's a long drive from Montana, and we rent vehicles that that are allowed to go across the border. You have to get Mexican insurance, and you have to make contracts from 
Enterprise and Al- Alamo, the two companies that let you take vehicles across. But basically, their contract says that you can you actually get another f- form that says permission to enter Mexico with this vehicle. But the most important part is that the contract itself, with your name and Enterprise on there, has the vehicle's VIN number. Well, it just so happens that Enterprise doesn't put their VIN numbers on the contract. Especially the system. I know because now you don't, they don't even know what the hell car you're going to take. No. You do all your paperwork, you just walk out and drive one off. There's yeah. no... It's just not important. You right, know, yeah. they, they have a, a, whatever system of checks and balances they have doesn't include the VIN number. I'm sure it's like in the system, but they don't need it on the contract. Well, the Mexican government that issues you a um, vehicle permit wants that VIN number on there. And they don't care how Enterprise operates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you just sort of had to go into Enterprise and say, hey, this is very important. Whatever you got to do, make sure the VIN number's on there. And unfortunately, we had doubled VIN numbers as opposed to Ryan and I were the two drivers, and instead of having separate VIN Those numbers. Those new um, brands, Spickety, new Ford Rangers. Yes. Which are funny to see because I think of like Ford Rangers, I think of dudes in high school. Like when I yeah. was a kid in high school. Yeah, or an old rancher. That's the, To me, that's a, like the classic old rancher truck. Yeah, it's an irrigation truck. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then the Mazda. What was the Mazda version of it? Yeah. Um, like the B2 or something like that? There's also the Chevy Love. You remember that one? Oh, L-U-V. yeah. No one. <laughs> <laughs> that's an irrigation pro. <laughs> those were nice. Tr- I, I did, we can talk about those trucks later. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't need to I like those trucks. Um, so, anyways, that's kind of what it takes to get a – so, once you hit the border – Oh, do we want to start there? Hell with yeah, the, with man. The, I think with no, the four, why four, not? Five, like, four, is, four, five, seven? Yeah, like, yeah, he, yeah. This is public service stuff. I don't I don't even care if it's not interesting to people. There's a form I think called it's the four, four, five, seven. And yeah. it's Yan sent- even knows the, yeah, Yan even knows the form number. <laughs> Beautiful man with a form. He treats a form with respect. <laughs> well, Not disdain. He treats it with respect. Yeah, but the only reason, because <laughs> if you don't, then the people that you show the form to are going to laugh and turn you away. <laughs> then, you, then you don't get to go cruise hunting. But a 4457 just set, it's basically telling the U.S. government that you are leaving the country with goods that cost money, that are like uh, in excess of some value, probably $500 or more. That way, when you come back with them, there's no funny business about that you left it or you sold it or whatever. It's just trackable. Or that you're like a, that you're bringing stuff down to sell. Exactly. Or, no, I'm sorry. Or that you bought it somewhere else. Sure. Because Bo- we, used to put go, all, we used to put both, all of our optics and stuff on there yeah. too, but now we just do rifles. Yeah, it could go both ways. I used ways. to do my like scope serial number, my right. binos. They never care about that stuff. No. Because so the gun thing you want to show that like you didn't pick up a gun down in Mexico. Right. So you, they basically want to see the gun, check the serial numbers, and you're on your way. Then That's you, not high stress. No, pretty easy. You uh, go into Mexico, and the uh, first stop is at the aduana, which I think is just how you say port of entry. Cal, tell me what aduana means. I don't know the first letter of that. Aduana? A-D-U-A-N-A. Okay, on it. And... Uh, it's kind of all clustered together. You have the um, the police, and then you also have the like tourism uh, office, I guess is what mm-hmm. you'd call that, right? Maybe immigration office of sorts. Um, and then you also have another office that deals with um, vehicles. And it's kind of all together in, in one, one and a half buildings. Customs. Aduana is that. customs. Yeah. Almost go. a model of inefficiency. Stuff. 
Oh, buddy. Like, you go to a dude, and he, like, does a thing. Yeah. Then you go to another dude, and he does a photocopy of a thing. Yeah, you're You go a... to another dude, and, like, he does a thing. Then you go back to the first dude and be like, look. It's a, it's a room with... <laughs> I did all It's a stuff. room with uh, four doors, three walls of glass, with people behind the three walls of glass. The other wall is just a wall with some posters on it that says you can't smuggle, you know, rare reptiles out of here. Um, and yeah, you go to one, you get it, and they're like, yeah, go see them over there. And then you go over there, you get a stamp, and then they say go over there, and the guy makes a photocopy, and then you go back to the first window, and you go, hey, here you go, here's everything you need, and then here's some money, and then they say, okay, thank you, you're out the door. It'd be like if you went to Subway, and every one of the little bins of condiments had an attendant. <laughs> yeah, and they were on, in different areas of the, of the so- building. Uh, bell peppers, yes, please. Okay, you will now go across the restaurant for your mail and talk to the gentleman with the mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's pretty much just to get your tourist visa. Then you go um, at the same window that you paid for the tourist visa. You got to get your vehicle permit. That's where we had to run in with the with the VIN number. That's always the trouble spot. Always the trouble spot. Yeah, and uh, so once we knew we had to just redo the contract. She wasn't a big deal. Nice, very nice gal, uh, Pamela. We should give Pamela props because she 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 knew what to do. Yeah. Unfortunately, in her she had some, we were there's some haste. In classic situation too, she's like the senior person there simultaneously uh, training training. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I feel like at Enterprise they're constantly in training mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. someone tried to pick company. up Yanni in the in the customs in Mexico. Not this time. One last time, someone called him two times ago. Someone called him. Um, Is this what you're talking about? El when you Guapo, say pick up, which I thought was an insult. Just sounds <laughs> insulty. Guapo. That doesn't sound good, but in fact, it means handsome one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. handsome. I yeah. It wasn't El Guapo, but she looked at his passport. She liked what she saw. Like, yeah, I think that was a little instigated, but was by John Snow. But either <laughs> either way, um, the. Uh, Vehicle permits, uh, they need to go out, look at the VIN, VIN number on the vehicle, come back inside with you. Then you do some paperwork, you get some stamps, you make some signatures, you leave, go make some photocopies. And there's a lot of rigmarole about the weight of the vehicle. Yes. So we even yes. met a guy that likes to make on his trailer. He makes a fake weight plate and tries to make it all official looking and rivet it onto his trailer so in a really easily to locate place so that he can be like, look. Mm-hmm. Here's your GV, GVW. Yeah. He just like made a make-believe one to, to to not have to argue about it so much. Yeah. It costs you a little bit more. They're sort of trying to like, it sounds like from what Jay can understand, they're trying to restrict commercial vehicles that are not permitted coming down from the U.S. And as soon as your truck has four doors instead of two, it jumps some class and whatever ends up costing yeah. you another ten dollars U.S. It's not a big deal. So far, we've done a good job of not making coos deer hunting too popular. If that's what you're worried about, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this t- we give ourselves a day and we start at the butt crack. McDonald's is barely open. Because you want to get your last... That's when Yanni gets his annual McDonald's. Yeah, you want to get your last McDonald's at about 6.30 a.m. And then you head to the border by 7. And uh, 
You know, I forget what time it was. Two thirty. It I was two thirty when we left. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Oh, the well, Eagles! The Eagles' no, alcohol-free year has ended, <laughs> and he's entered into a sugar-free quarter of a year. That's right. I think I'm feeling better after two weeks of no sugar than I did after a whole year of no drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you found out the real And I'm funnier, according to my old lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yanni was doing a year-end. Yanni was doing like a year-end review with his wife to see how everything's going. And she commented, he's just not as funny as he once was. Which cuts deep, man. That cuts. Well, she did it with a wink. Yeah, because you, yeah, you never had, you never like lightened the load with a beer or anything, you know? No, no. Uh, but there's way one. The, there's the one world. I don't think it was two thirty quite yet because we probably had to make one. It was probably two thirty yeah. when we actually started driving yeah, towards when we the, got ranch. To the ranch. So after, oh, we're not done yet at the first stop at the Aduana. <laughs> so you get all, you get your tourist visa, you get your vehicle permit, then you have to check your guns with the, the cops. The cops. So you bring them out over to the cops. Say we, you need to check our guns. You have your um, your cartouches. <laughs> You have your cartouches with you too, but you have your. Um, I, I just I want to interject here. Like gun I permit. feel you found there's a fact problem. Stephen Renella, who, who who you are the problem, um, has this amazing knowledge of how language works through many years of study and practice. Yet that is true. It is subverted. By this old man Michigander mentality of like, man, it's just too late to learn Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so, I missed my chance. <laughs> so I'm just going to willfully remain outside of even attempting to try. No, job, job no. security, Cal. I job security. formed a sentence that I'm still proud of. Yeah, no, that was a good one. What did Joke you say? Joke size, Sylvester Stallone. I said, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> something to the effect of, que es no familia vivir en este casa. And it's totally wrong. But they looked at me for a minute and, and a light bulb went off. Why and they is... knew what I was trying to say. It'd be like if someone came to you in English and said something to to the effect of, um, why is no, no leave, family leave, to leave. live <laughs> in that house? Leave out meaning the, the one I'm in. <laughs> yes. Meaning the one I'm in. And when Steve saw the light bulb of recognition go off, I told everyone about it. <laughs> basically spiked the football in the end zone, <laughs> ran down the tunnel, and went home. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> oh, gracias, gracias. Yeah. Yeah, it's really a shame, and I gave up really early. I gave up early. I hadn't. I wasn't even. I gave up fifteen years ago. It's all on to the next generation now. <laughs> My children are in Spanish. They've always been in Spanish. It's like I, just, I I can't do it. A man, as my friend uh, Matt Cook will remind you. Um, a man's got his limits. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Giannis. Go ahead. No, quite all right. So, uh, yeah, the cops. Uh, was that a, was that a, a jab? Because I just said cartouches. <laughs> <laughs> it just it needed to be said, Stephen. 
Esteban, please. Uh, they look at your, you have your gun permit that's, that came from the federal government and it has your rifle. In my case, I had a rifle and a shotgun on there with the uh, serial numbers, the make, model. Um, and then all the gun permits say 100 cartouches, which, which means you have 100 cartridges. So No one cares about that. That's uh, one number uh, no uh, one cares again, about. Again, they don't care about it, but I feel like early on, the first couple of times I went, they would always want to see the cartridges. They would look to see that the cartridges were of the same caliber that your rifle was. But the last few years, they haven't. Yeah, I, they, they, I had them checked when I crossed a couple of years ago. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. So again, it could just depend on the port of entry or whatever. But uh, they check it that, they take your passport for a minute. I'm guessing they make a copy. They give you a stamp, or maybe they ch- check your, you know, your name, make sure you're not a wanted man in Mexico. They come back, give your passport back, give you a stamp. Then you're finally done at the aduana, and you head over to the military, which is right across from a gas station that used to have a great taqueria That inside. place went to shit, man. It yeah. went from being like a crazy Mexican gas station with like great food and kind of like it was like a little bit puzzling what was going on to yeah. being like it's like a 7-Eleven. Yeah. With, yeah. Nothing that's not in a plastic bag to consume. No, it used to be like kind of like, what is this place? Oh, shit. Look at those tacos. But now it's like. Uh, <laughs> now they have taco donuts. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now they got like the rollers <laughs> with the hot dogs. It's just, I don't know what happened, man. Yeah. New ownership, I guess. Bathrooms are cleaner yeah, taco, now, maybe. <laughs> taco Anyways, you par- was it? it was a taco donut. You park at the gas station. I was like, I got to get one. <laughs> I, I don't understand, but I need one. <laughs> this is probably, I think, I don't know, as a newcomer, Kevin, you can maybe, well, you've done it twice, and you've done it twice now. Cal, too, you're on your second trip. But I always felt like the parking at the gas station and walking over to the military, that's when I started to have the feeling of like, oh, okay, this is getting a little bit different, you know, than what I'm used to. In the, be- the beginning part, everything's pretty, like, official. There's cops, and, you know, it's, like, tight. But oh, when, yeah. When you park in a gas station parking lot. It's and a very you- truck stoppy gas station. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of activity. There's no parking area at the military. It's just right across the street. You park. And grab your gun case and yeah. walk so now you're in and Mexico. enter a military compound. Yeah, and you have a gun and you, with bullets, cartridges, and now you're just going to walk across the street in old Mexico and into a military compound. And <laughs> the thing is, in, in the U.S., if you go into a military base, mm-hmm. you there are, you know, I mean, there are many people in there who are, will deploy and, you know, will do service, right? But mm-hmm. the base is not like a thing that's fighting doesn't happen there. No. But when you enter a military base here, it's like it's a military like it's like conducting missions. It's like a base. It's a base with like a military that's conducting missions in its own country, which we don't do in you know in the US you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Under very special circumstances, but these are guys who are sort of like actively engaged in a, I don't know, you know, it's dramatic to call it a civil war, but I mean, it, you know, I mean, like actively engaged in sort of like combat operations against armed militia equivalents. Yeah, and you'll be kind of reminded of that a lot of times because a lot of both the soldiers and police that you'll see, um, especially when they're out in trucks, they're wearing masks. Yeah. You know, covering their faces. Just a very different kind of military base. It's like an outpost. It's interesting. I never thought about that. And yeah. That's just to protect their identity yes. so when yeah. they're not at work. That's right. 
Interesting. So yeah, you walk in there, you tell the fella at the gate that you're there to check your rifles. Or we usually have with us a fellow by the name of Beto, spelled with a B. Incredible arm wrestler. Incredible. incredible. I couldn't even beat him. Nope. Um, Beto could have been a linebacker. In yeah. His, in his day. Um, and uh, so he's with us as well as, well, we had another fixer with us uh, to cross the border too named Salsa. And they're just there in case things go a little sideways, like you have a doubled up VIN number. And they're there so that in case someone um, on the Mexican side doesn't want to try to speak English with you or try to work it out in sort of a Spanglish, broken, you know, English, Spanish way, that they can step in and say, okay, what needs to happen to keep this thing moving on? So Beto's with us. He says, hey, we're here to check our guns. They say, okay, go over there and stand in the... It's like a little outbuilding, basically. Uh, cement or brick walls, tin roof. And uh, there used to be a mannequin in there that was dressed in a in a uh, military outfit. Yeah, then his pants broke. Yeah. Well, you were poking him and his outfit and his pants <laughs> and fell his down. His pants fell down and everyone was uncomfortable, but I didn't want to like put his pants back on him. <laughs> so he's standing there with his pants around his ankles. Yeah. And had like a broken finger. Yeah. You know, I bet you they had a GoPro running, and that's just one of those like behind the scenes Mexican TV like they like to do, <laughs> just to get you to squirm. You know, yeah. you're sitting there looking at the mannequin with no pants on, and his like hand was broken away. He's like giving everybody the finger. I remember taking a picture of that, but I never used it. But then they replaced him with two rocket launchers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now this now it's decorated with rocket no, launchers. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it is so much more tidy now. Like yeah. now they like again. I think it's it might be because of the volume. And why it's the good old days now, but it's just like now, and it used to take sometimes an hour plus there. And now you go in there, the dude comes over again. An officer comes out. Yeah. Yeah. You show him the paperwork. He checks the serial numbers. He checks your passport. passport, He leaves with them for five or 10 minutes, comes back with a stamp on your gun permit that's basically saying you have entered the country and you, you have your rifle, you're good to go. And now the cops. And the federal military mm-hmm. know that you and this gun are here. That's right. And you walk back across the street and get in the vehicle and follow Beto to your ranch. Then you go hunt. And then a magical thing happens. You drive down like a highway, then a dusty road, and another dusty road, and then like nearly impassable roads. And then all of a sudden you're on a place that you you can't scratch the surface of. Nothing's around. It's just like quiet, wild. Yeah, we should ranches the size of national parks. Yeah, the quiet. You should we should talk about that. It's like all that all that apprehension, and all of a sudden you're like in a place that you're in a place you're in an environment, a place that you just are not going to replicate. No, right. You can You're totally like, relax. Oh, look at that tree has thirty five bluebirds in it. <laughs> like that's nice. That's it just pl- goes on and on and right? on. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Do you think a hundred years ago there were more people in that country than there are today? I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe I don't know why, but I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised at some point that for whatever economic factors that used to support more people than does yeah, now. just general urbanizations happen in the last hundred years. 
for sure. So it's it, a hard place to scratch out a living. Yeah, and the mechanization of of running those copper mines that are there probably did, probably had more folks working in them prior yeah. prior to right now. It, I, I would think it legitimately might be more pristine today than it was a hundred years ago when Could you get be. in those ranches. Yeah, like you know, certain counties in the American Great Plains like lose population. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You see a lot more. Um, Stuff that was once something and isn't anymore, then you do things that are being made now. Yeah, absolutely. There's just like things yeah, that like you guys, good. I guess that used to be like a thing. Yeah, that's a good description. Yeah. Where people hung out, but just enormous. It's, it's really stunning to be down there. It's I definitely love, worth the hassle. I love it. Love it. It's great. And. There are, and you get the sense. There's a thing we'll talk about, like in West. I guess it's true everywhere now. It's true in a any kind of. Um, I shouldn't say any kind. Most kinds of like I would say most kinds of big game hunting in in in, in this country. There are so many. It's the I, I would say it's the norm to have it be that someone lays eyes on most animals, like someone sees most animals. Like in heavily hunted deer areas, someone sees every deer, right? Often. It's just like kind of like expected that someone else has seen it. But you just get the sense too, there's like, um, you sense that there's like just deer that go unseen. Oh, there were parts of that ranch, the, especially up behind the, up behind the ranch house, that their deer dying of old age on there, no doubt. For sure. You can't see them. You can't see anything. There's... Whole mountainsides you can't see. Yeah, you just can't get a vantage in some of that stuff. But there's deer sign everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But no one ever goes on that hill. There's no reason for anyone to ever go there. Yeah. We had a rancher once tell us on another ranch we hunted. We had a rancher once talk about a part of the ranch and said that he hadn't been there in three years. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I think they, most of them probably have one vaquero that rides... Almost every day, and it hits, you know, probably takes them two weeks to do the loop, right, through the whole place. And that annually, they have a party. It's a party. It's a get-together. It's a work thing. I forget, they have a name for it. But basically, they hire a bunch of hands, and they it's like moving cattle day, round up and moving cattle. Trying to get cattle out of the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Around here, it's called a shipping party. There you go. It's not called a roundup. Well, the roundup happens, but that's not a party. Once you ship the calves, then you get a party. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that's when the work work's done. Yeah, so there's not a lot of people, not a lot of, you don't, you just don't see a lot of boot tracks, if any. Any. I don't, and I don't know see, that we did see any tracks. No. The way you hunt the stuff is you hunt it, um... I would describe it like it's very sort of gross to close. Um, not gross like, oh, that's gross. But gross meaning like whole entirety where you you kind of go down these spots and the, the first things you want to do is just start out being in any anywhere where you can just see tons of shit, right? Just mm-hmm. get up and you want to see a lot looking at hillsides. Um, it's not so much to your... I think every time we go, you get to a point where you're you're looking in a in a targeted fashion, but early on, you're just trying to like you're just looking you're kind of like looking where you can see, and what you can see is hillsides. Like when you're on a hillside, looking at a hillside, like the things laid out for you, like flat ground is hard to observe what's going on. 
It's not that they're not there. I'm sure they're there. But you go to the places that are like most easily to survey. And you get up high and look and just try to find areas of activity. And then over the days, if you have, you would be probably, I would not do it. Um, I would not do it with fewer than four. Days? Yeah. Oh, oh no. no. I, I would even say seven. No, I'm saying I yeah. would not. I would be like, man, I'm not, you know, it'd be fun, but yeah. four would be light. Yeah, five. Oh. We did five uh, just now, and it was light. Yep. It, it takes. Giannis and I did a lot of talking uh, over just glassing on the way, um, you know, back to Tucson from from the ranch, and um, you know, I still find it very hard to properly wedge into my brain the actual scale of the animal. Like it is so small, and then that the size of that animal in relation to the, you know, the flora down there, all, you know, is that a big Ocotillo? Is that a small Ocotillo? You know, it's just not that familiar yet. And then I I am scanning the hillside the way I would a mule deer, scanning for a mule deer at that speed. And it's too fast for the scale of a coos deer mm-hmm. yes. for my, for my eyes. And I, and I would know it, but I'm so, spent so many hours looking for mule deer that that's still, I can't differentiate between the two yet. So then I'd have to like stop. And Giannis, t- uh, you're talking about your technique because you kind of agreed with that. Like you're just moving too fast. Well, tell people your observation about, you know, whatever the hell skill is. Oh Yeah. My, uh, this is an old saying, but a, a buddy of mine who, uh, likes to gamble always says, uh, uh, luck is where skill meets opportunity. And I found for, for me, locating a coos deer is where persistence in glassing meets movement. <laughs> like if that, if that yeah. deer's yeah. not Once you said it, I was yeah. like, I would, I, once you said it, I was like, to be honest, I would say that 75% of the ones I spot or maybe more are because I pause and catch something move a tail flicks. It steps. <clears throat> it's because like I catch something move. move or, I catch a movement. Yeah. Or, I mean, it can, it can be, I mean, those are like the big movements that you catch, you know, like an actual body walking or the tail flick is a pretty big one. But a lot of times you pick up like them chewing their cud and that movement right there is what tips them off. Yeah. yeah the, you have to, you can't just scan you don't you don't do it moving. You have to do move, stop, move, pause, observe. It, it bothers your eyes to do it, but I roll my I go and like check everything. I stop and don't just look. Like you could get in the trap of like looking at the sight picture through your binoculars, but rather than looking sort of like studying the sight picture, you then are moving your eyeballs around. So as you're looking through a pair of binoculars at a hillside, whatever, a thousand yards away, which would be kind of close actually, but you're looking. And you have this round, despite the mo- what the movies will tell you. When, when a person <laughs> in a movie looks through binoculars, they're seeing two <laughs> circles that are shadowy around the edges. You're actually looking at a clean circle. And within that circle, you have to move your eyes around and check everything. You check every, under every tree and move it. It's, it's taxing on your eyes. Yeah. But typically, it's like the, all of a sudden something moves. Oftentimes... Within my sight picture, through my binoculars, I will, in my peripheral vision, see a movement. 
And then I don't move my binoculars. I just like move my eyes over. It sounds funny, but like you like move your eyes over to that part of that sight picture yeah. to see what it was that moved. And you'd be like, oh, it was a bird. Yeah. This, it's like that level of movement, like a the, bird flicking in a bush. I think this is what you're talking about. I think the most important piece of gear you can bring on this thing is a tripod for your binoculars. Yes. Because yes. you have to do the movement. Because you can't do what we're talking about. And I totally agree with you guys. Like that's how you find them. They're moving. But if you're hand-holding binoculars and you're scanning a hillside, you'll never catch any of the stuff we're talking about. No, because you don't. When you're scanning, you don't catch you don't catch birds. No, nope. I'd pick up I pick up roadrunners, all kinds of little birds. You pick up rodents. It's like all movement. Like, now then, you just see one, but a lot of times it's just that it's just like something. Lakata picked up a pair of does, two does, um, and these are like gray, you know, gray colored coos deer, if you can imagine. Their backdrop is gray rock, as if they changed color to meet to match the rock perfectly. Um, and they were 400 yards away, maybe, and I could not see those does. Yeah, and that's, I just that's could close. Not see them. <laughs> yeah, oh, they're, they're incredibly difficult animals to spot. They they really are. And what you said, Cal, about the scale—that was the one thing I. I struggled with that and moving my binoculars too much, too much scanning. But there'd be spots, you know, you look at spots and you think, oh, I can imagine seeing a deer there, right? And every once in a while, they're okay. There is one coming across this yellow open slope. But what I was looking at was much smaller than what I was imagining. You know, you look at the the plants next to it and you realize your scale was all off. What I was looking for was something much bigger than what is actually there. I, I, I often question my rangefinder. Like two nights ago, I crept up to where we knew one was bedded, and I was like, "Man, it's got to be like six hundred yards away." But I kept getting that it was three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, "This thing's got to be messed up." And I'm like tapping it, <laughs> <laughs> and like mentally, you're like, "Okay, I can be a little off, but not half off, not half the distance." Well, it's wrong. amazing how three hundred yards. Sometimes you pick one up, glass, and you're looking at them, and it's pretty close, you know. And you're like, "Oh, sweet," and then you just pull your binocs down and you look over the top of them just to see where it is with the naked eye and you can't and you think well there's no way that at 300 yards mm-hmm. I can't see this animal put your binocs up there he is plain as day broadside <laughs> binocs down just gone right. a common conversation is someone be like oh there's one someone's like where I, I don't know I don't want to take my eyes off it <laughs> and then I'll like I'll then I'll, I'll want to explain where it is and so I'll like really like mark it with a bunch of shit mm-hmm. I'll like okay there's a bush a tree a stump so then I'll like go up real quick to the skyline and pick off some feature on the skyline and then zip back down to find my deer and then be like, it's under uh, whatever, you know. Yeah, and your heart's like frozen because you're like, ah, they hope it's there He's when gonna come vanish. back. He's going to vanish. <laughs> Kevin observed finding one not moving and it was that you saw its... I saw its nose. The shine off its <laughs> nose. This well, has huh? nothing to do with What's my that shiny, skills. What's that shiny black thing? Yeah. There, yeah, there's no shiny black things in the bush. It was That deer was so unlucky. Yeah, and uh, coos deer nose, for reference, would be about the, the let's say the base of a pop can in in size, like the shine off the base of a pop can. At how far were you? It was uh, two sixty? Two sixty. Which close close for one of these, but yeah, I saw yeah. jet black a jet black spot in a bush. That's it, what tipped him off. If it's not movement, it's also. Um, at certain sunlight at certain angles on the on their hide, yeah, give it will bet- betray them. Mm-hmm. 
some of the best conditions to locate them are uh, when the sun blasts in a hillside in the morning. It can they can make them pop, and then there's like there's conflicting theories about this, but I, I, they're 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 not. They don't have a wide comfort. I, I, they're not. I don't think they have like a huge range of degree. What am I trying to say? They're like, they're, their window of comfort for temperature is narrow. I mean, they, they seem to play the sun a lot, and like they play like shadow, shade, not shade. Uh, on cold nights, they like they they seem to like when the sun hits the hillside, they just really seem to like to bask in it. To where the sun will hit a hillside, you're looking and looking and looking. There's nothing there. All of a sudden, the sun gets kind of intense on the hillside, and all of a sudden, one's just there. And you're like, oh, he must have just stood up because there's no way he walked in there. And they'll stand, turn sideways to the sun with just kind of like this, like, relaxed look on their face, not doing anything, and just, like, absorb the sun for some period of time. Um, but then they don't like that, and then they slip around the other side of the hill to get in the shade. Yeah. They, I don't know. I wish I knew what that comfort range was for a coos deer. But, yeah, if you were going to set your thermometer for that. It's like an old grandma. Yeah. Yeah. They like it between 68 and 72 or like whatever the joke is, right? Just, so, something like that for sure. Yeah. They don't have any fat on them, right? Like No. Thin hide, no fat, tons of surface area relative to mass. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Uh, we got to talk about uh, your last your last night of hunting and just the how comfortable. The other question for me would be to truly determine how comfortable or confident these deer are in their hiding ability because it seems to me like once they find a spot to bed down, they're like, nothing's going to find me. So they can walk as close as they can. And Kevin, you had the, on, on the same day as that you found your buck by looking at the spot on his nose, right? You had, um, yeah, uh, vaquero come up. Yeah, a vaquero come up and, and, uh, I'd seen a really nice buck and I'd seen three does and I kind of made a push halfway up that ridge to, to see if I could get closer and get a good look at him. And I get there and I hear someone talking and it's, it's a guy on a horse, like kind of in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> hanging out. On the hill where you get a on, cell on, signal. <laughs> yeah, where you, like the one, the, the phone booth, as I referred to it up there, it's like the one spot where you got two bars on your cell phone. And, um, he was sitting there talking away. He got two dogs running around with him. And after about 15 minutes, he kind of rides off and was a little perturbed that I had made this push in these deer. 
and uh, I guess it was Giannis and Anthony, I think, kind of slid lower on the hill. And that guy wasn't gone 15 minutes, and those does stood up. They'd never moved. They were about 110 yards, 140 yards from somewhere in there. And he sat there on his horse with two dogs running around, and he rode out right next to him, and they sat tight in that bush. They never moved. Yeah. And the buck I ended up shooting, um, he saw me. Right, that's one of the only deer that I found. He's in like, this I see you, but you don't see me. He was, <laughs> he was pretty confident that you know he saw me, but I he, that I didn't know where he was. Well, and, it's really hard to see him when they're bedded <laughs> like that. It was a, a good spot, and when they are under that brush like that, an oak bush in the shadows, it's yeah. very difficult to see him. We we spotted over the course of the week very few bedded deer. The ones that we did kind of gave themselves up; they were skylined or whatever, but mm-hmm. very few like. You know, mule deer hunting and things like that, you pick them out underneath a bush or a shrub, these things vaporize, you know, right in front of you sometimes. You're looking at them, they step behind a bush, and then they never come out. No one ever sees them again. I've been in places where they tend to, or they'll bed up on, like, open hillsides, but they'll get under a big oak or something to bed. But these guys just go in, they're like cottontail rabbits, man. They disappear. Yeah, they go into it. We, uh, we, we've all, we've been toying for uh, with this idea, like, can you, like, there's a thing called rattling a deer in for people who aren't super familiar with all this stuff. It's basically, um, at a certain point in their cycle, their annual cycle, when they're getting, I think particularly when they're getting ready to go into breeding season, they're doing a lot of sparring, you know, like different bucks will, these kind of like casual fights, you know, they'll get into just sort of measure up who's the man, who's not. Um, and they fight a lot. And a way to lure deer in is to, to make the sound of things, of deer fighting, uh, it's particularly like associated with whitetail hunting. You clack, you like literally take two antlers and bang them together and make the noise of deer fighting. And deer will, you know, probably out of like a lot of curiosity, maybe it means that there's a doe over there and they're fighting over. Anyways, they'll come in. And we keep toying around with like various such situations of trying to like rattle to see how these like little desert whitetails will respond to rattling. Cal and I are watching a deer in its bed. Um, at it was 900 yards away, and we're like, let's watch him and then rattle and see what he if he likes it. And Cal starts clacking away, and the second Cal starts clacking, I'm watching this buck, and all he does is one, not both, but one of his ears moves back, and then goes back to where it was, and like he just doesn't care. I'm gonna take note. I'm gonna write it down. <laughs> but I'm not getting up. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting up. And that deer, we had found a deer. It was that distance away and, and started to stalk it and it got up and moved at one point. And um, I got into where I, I got into where I was 300 yards away from where the deer was bedded, could not pick it out. And it was our last ever hunt. It's getting darker, darker, darker. It gets to be around five o'clock. It's dark at six. I find another doe with a smaller buck. And Cal is through in a spotting scope watching the buck I'm supposed to be getting. And that buck's not 100 yards away, 150 yards away. And I shoot the other buck. And Cal said all that buck did was move his ear. Yeah, the buck in the bed that I'd been burning my eyeball out on hoping he would stand up to give Steve a shot when his uh, compatriot there on the hillside... Or his rival. Or his rival got uh, ultimately killed by Steve... Um, well, you make it sound like it was drawn out in in a very close to his bedded position. Yeah, all that buck did was move an ear, <laughs> <laughs> take note, 
and then move the ear back in position. And that was it. And I never, never got an inkling of like, oh, he's going to stand up. It was just like. He took note. He's like, 900 yards to my left, (laughs) some jackasses making a loud noise. And then 100 yards down there, uh, my buddy just got shot and killed. Yep. Noted. <laughs> I'm going to stay in my bed. Yeah. That's why you don't like, stand Like I was up. saying, I just stay in my bed. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, between the... Man, it's just, it's such a nice feeling down there. You just feel... Um, you get get a good primitive feeling, feeling. You get a good feeling of, like, being in the wild. Um Lots of bird activity, um, seeing the javelinas kind of randomly do their thing is very entertaining. Um, it, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a bizarre landscape because some of the hiking is so pleasurable mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you hit the wrong slope and it's just like w- walking on, you know, softballs. It's like walking on baseballs. Yeah. Yeah. I fell, when we were packing your buck out, I fell five times on that slope. Um, dog ownership. <laughs> uh, I was wondering where we were getting Real the dogs. Quick. I want to touch oh, on this a little bit. Dog ownership to. is, there's a different dog. The human dog relationship is, I, I don't want to, it's not, I don't want to, I definitely I can use the word antiquated. There, there, there's also just a, a, a shifting perspective on dogs. Um, there are on these large cattle ranches, there are like packs of dogs. Yes. Dogs that you, I, I'm assuming do have not been named. Agreed. Large groupings of dogs that kind of just like fend for themselves. They, they almost have a relate, like a, they, they almost have a relationship to the property, almost like, like, uh. It's a mutualistic. Like a hog, yeah. Like a hog might have. Like he's like, yeah, I don't really give a shit about people, but I'm here. There's food. You know, I hang around here and there's, there's food around here. Yeah, it's a mutualistic relationship, right? Like the dogs are going to bark when something strange shows up. They are going to... Probably give coyotes hell. Yeah. Um, these ones definitely had a herding instinct. Yeah, there were some there watching those sheep, for sure, in that sheep pen. That was oh, and I'm sure they're nothing, they love nothing more than chasing cattle around. Yeah. And then uh, I think the dogs get, uh, you know, some sort of feed, um, not not in the way we do it, not in the very, very soft way we do it. Uh, they, they, I've seen them, they feed them almost like how, yeah, like how you slop hogs. This yeah. is just an earlier uh, version of domestication. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, and so there's it. a benefit there. And then there's uh, also, I think, a benefit too. There is a very serious coyote population out there. Oh, like, yeah. And so these dogs, instead of being on hyper alert all night, if they were outside fending for themselves, they're in a in a spot that's got enough mark of man to where the coyotes are, and the cats and stuff are kind of giving them uh, a wider berth. Yeah. Uh, is my guess is how that kind of trade-off works. We struck off from this uh, ranch house one morning on foot, and right away there's like this little dog with us, and we holler at it and be all mean to it. and Throw rocks. Yeah, not trying to hit it, trying to spook it. 
But the dog knows the rock throwing routine enough for it. Well, I went to pick up a rock and it took off. Yes. How he's been spent his whole life getting pummeled rocks. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, okay, we took care of that problem. And we'd walk another half mile and then hear this dog be again. And we'd do the whole thing over again. I think we did it three times. Three times, like, legit ran the dog off. And eventually, he just, now we're two miles away, but he's still with us. And then we're like, all right, you can just hang out. When he slid in at the two-mile mark, it had been, every, I mean, every bit, more than an hour since we'd seen that dog. Yeah, he'd blood trail you. And we had moved a long way. Or scent, yeah, not blood, scent trail you. And we eventually let him hang out. And he hangs out with us all day. Nicest dog in the world. We're petting him, hanging out. I'm, t- I'm trying to like think about looking up how to bring a dog home. Cal's like, just bring it home and act like you had it coming in. I'm explaining that I'm just not in a position anymore to like lie to authorities. Um, so then we're on a ridge that night, and you see that some bitch catch like his nose goes up in the air and catches wind of a deer. And holy shit, man, that dude knew what he was doing. It wasn't like he saw it. He caught wind and ran up and down the ridge a couple of times to narrow down the location, <laughs> plunges off the ridge, hauling ass. Pretty soon he's barking. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually I see a doe squirting out across the valley floor and up the other side, and that dog's still on him. And we thought, like man. Like a pro deer runner, man. <laughs> Was this yellow dog or the black dog? The black one. The black, yeah, the black dog, one. yeah. And then he came back just like, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I told you. I told you I was great. No no one wanted to believe me. Good hunt. Good hunt. You guys didn't think I had it in me. (laughs) And uh, Steve and I felt like um, we we felt shame. We felt like we'd been duped a little bit. (laughs) We'd been had by the dog. You guys were suckers, man, because then the rest of the week you're feeding them. We we packed out the... the I don't know. Did we feed that dog? Yes. Yeah, so we packed, Cal and I packed out the uh, oh, lower Cal legs, four legs. the four deer, legs on his deer buck. Legs, yeah. Feeding yeah. them deer legs. But never in the field, never got fed in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was laughing because uh, those, those two dogs, his yellow sister, they followed our truck the morning before, like all the oh. way to the north. Miles. Um, miles. They followed the truck. And Giannis is trying to outdrive him, which you can't do. Even Baja Yanni can't outrun him. Yeah. And I uh, set up my spotting scope on the side of the road and sit down. And uh, I have just like two puppies on top of me. And part of me is like, this isn't productive. And then the other part of me is like, but it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the way that dog acted a little bit was, I remember uh, one time I came home and I had Tracy from work. She was over. We were doing, uh, we were trying to film something and. My kid climbs out and out of the car. He's with his nanny and they, all the kids, and they climb down out of the car, and he's got a McDonald's cup. And the first thing out of his mouth is, you're going to be disappointed in us. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that dog, every time that dog would show up, he's like, I know you're going to beat me. I just know you're going to beat me. But I, I, I can't help it. Yeah. Just let's get it over with. <laughs> I tried to persuade Steve into taking the dog because I said, think about it. You can tell your kids that they have to learn Spanish because the dog's from Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the only thing he understands. (laughs) Oh, they would learn in a hurry then. Uh, Uh, Anthony, that was your first successful coos hunt. uh, Give me, you know, give me some impressions. Um, I mean, they're, they're, 
beautiful deer, man. You you get up, you, you know they're whitetails, but they're a little different. And by name only. Yeah, by name only, right? But when you get up there and you really get close to one and you know hold it in your hands and look at that fur, that fur is so different. There, you know, everybody calls them the gray ghost, right? But then you run your hand over that fur and see all the white in there and see the size. Um, it's just real cool to hunt a whitetail that is so different, but still a whitetail. Yeah. Oh, uh, what made him more familiar, Kevin saw one full on, I'd never seen this. He saw one work a scrape. Yeah. Yeah. Actually in a scrape, uh, we think it, I think it literally might be the same tree. We saw one work a scrape last year, but, um, you know, he came in, worked a scrape, peed in it, kicked the crap out of the bush next to it, <laughs> scraped it some more, beat up another bush and then. Just like cruised on out of our life. Had like the, the licking branch and he had the, the licking branch. He he did everything in about a minute that that you ever see a deer do in the rut. That's and then cool. over the back of the ridge, never to be seen again. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that was the first one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was it was fun and and you know what's what I think is really fun about <clears throat> the hunt. We've talked about the terrain and um, how beautiful and different it is, but it's it's a really cool mix of it's really challenging. To find them and to stalk close enough, but it's, um, you end up, you work at it, you see enough and you have your chances. So it's like, you kind of, you always feel like you're in the game or that any minute could happen. Cal and I were hunting and we hadn't spotted a deer in a couple hours and got to that point of the day. We're sitting in the sun where, um, it's like a nap sounds pretty good. So I laid out and put my hat down, had a nap for 15 minutes talking about what we're going to do, and then it all happened real quick. You know, we see a doe running, a smaller buck chasing, his buck came in. You kind of always have that feeling that it could happen at any moment. That, that's a good That's a good point I never thought of in, in trying to explain why I've come to like it so much, is it's a really nice blend in this area. It's a great mix of effort and reward. Yeah. Where we hunted in Texas not long ago on a, on a uh, big private unhunted ranch that had a lot of nil guy and it, the the mix was unusual <laughs> zero often is in texas <laughs> yeah you remember like uh the unabomber did you ever read the unabomber's manifesto i have actually his problem was what he didn't like is uh he had all human activity broken down in these like classifications of effort and he said like staying alive used to be like it took level five effort to stay alive like level five effort was try as hard as you can and you had a chance, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what he—that's when he thought human. That, that's what we thrive under. We thrive under is try it as hard as you can for a chance. But technology had gotten it to where survival is level one, where um, you don't try at all, and you're guaranteed to survive. So his gripe with technology was that then that gave us all of our neurotic behaviors and our unhappiness. So what he wanted to do is use technology to wage war on technology. And then discard the the implements of war as you could until it was a battle of sticks and stones, and that he would unibomb us back to uh, <laughs> unibomb us back to level five survival. Try as hard as you can, and you might survive. Um, down where we were hunting in Texas, it was like try kind of not at all. You'll be successful. <laughs> and then there's whatever. There's like hunting doll sheep in the fog, right. which is level six. <laughs> Try as hard as you – it's still not going to work. Um, but it's a really nice like mm. try hard 
And you're going to be rewarded just enough to really hold your interest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like it's like a it's like a sort of like this uh, vending machine almost. You know, it's like there's sort of like this, this, this like a known transaction. I'm going to put five bucks worth of effort in, and I'm going to get yeah a five dollar product, <laughs> right? But it's not a dollar worth of effort. It's right. five bucks worth right. of effort. And feel, I- every day it feels like that. It's like we're going to work, 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 and then. It just could happen. One it's a really great blend. Main goals going down there. I was just, I just, it's been a long time since I've got a good nap on the mountain in the sun. And I was so looking forward to that. And uh, the neuroses of spotting that deer. <laughs> uh, I got, I think I got one 10 minute snooze in and in the five days. And that was with you. And I'd, I'd made the, the mistake of resting my head against some branch on the tree I'd leaned up against and eventually the branch broke and snapped me back into consciousness and I turned and glassed the hillside and my eyes were kind of coming into focus and this uh coos deer doe walked right into the into the <laughs> into the fuzzy black circle at that point and um but it was yeah I'm captivated by those things. So I was like I couldn't I just couldn't comfortably sleep because I was like, yeah, I, miss it. yeah, luck they're, is well, where skill meets opportunity. They're rare, yeah, they're rare enough that everyone you spot has a little element of like, holy shitness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it has a little element of like, you're pleased with yourself. Yeah. Everyone you spot, you're like, ha, damn it. Yeah. I, I still got, got it. Yeah. I still got it. To the, to the point that where, when somebody else spots a deer, Eventually, if there's five guys on that hillside, eventually all five are going to be like, um, uh, can you walk me into that deer? <laughs> yeah. Can yeah. you show me where? There's not so many that no one cares. Like every deer, everyone, like you'll be like, okay, that's cool. He sees it. I'll keep looking. But they're coming. They're like, yeah, you know, you know that deer you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Where, where exactly was he? And for me, it's like almost like, okay, recalibrate. Look at a live one. Look at one that, that is there for sure. And then get a good dose of that, a little bit of extra dopamine, yep. and then keep looking again. You know what's had, re- oh, go ahead. What's really telling about this is when you're sitting back with, you know, three of us glassing and someone spots a doe, all three people ask to get walked into the doe. If you're looking at whitetails in the Midwest and someone sees a doe, everyone's, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> whatever, right. right? You still want in to this case, it. someone spots a doe and everyone, people are like getting spotting scopes out and everyone wants to get on the doe. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, it's the rut, right? So, I mean, it's like, you know, oftentimes that's like you, you find one and you just got to stare, 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 stare. And eventually you get like, she's by herself. But sometimes you're expecting like El Macho Grande. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some, one other observation about... Um, Oh, a thing, a thing we debated a long time ago, probably the last time we were all high on coos deer, uh, was the value of a unit of measurement in describing things to people. I've come to believe that establishing a unit of measurement in proximity to the thing you're trying to describe is valuable. You find a tree, and we're like, that. the width of that tree is our unit of measurement. Mm-hmm. Go seven units to seven o'clock. Yeah. I I'm a I've become a firm believer, despite what JSAC. What's that called? The guys that call air. Uh, That's yeah. There seems to yeah. be some uh, discussion among pilots and JSAC, like guys that call strikes. 
I think there's some disagreement in that community about um, – we had a JSAC operator be like, talk about his method of establishing a unit of measurement. And uh, a pilot said, nothing sucks the energy out of a cockpit more than a JSAC operator suggesting a unit of measurement. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a believer. In the Coos Deer Woods, I'm a believer in the unit of measurement. Well, we had a conversation. You were like 30 yards to my right, and we're trying to... Talk about where that deer's bedded. I'm like, okay, now this oak has a white trunk. It's This one's not snapped off the base. This one's snapped off like 10, 12 feet from the base. 10, 12 feet up the trunk, it's snapped off. And I, and I hear Steve go, well, I don't agree with the height, but I know what tree you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yanni, Yanni, uh, you know what, Yanni? I don't mean I don't mean to tell you what to do, but do talk about Jay a little bit. Jay's an interesting dude. I feel like he's an anomaly as a guide. Do you? Hmm. Anomaly? I just think he's like he's just like so like just very organized and even keeled and predictable. His actual business acumen, I find, is a two percent type of guide quality he's in the the two percent but like it's not he is like a business not person. like business like like an ebenezer scrooge kind of business but just like a customer care and that even sounds weird i don't know how to describe it you just feel like like very you just feel like you're in very good hands yep yeah he's dialed yeah i don't know if it's ocd but like no you think so I mean, there's elements of that well, but it's the same way that you have it for keeping your garage organized, you know? No, it's OCD. He just applies that to getting his forms all tidy. Oh, but yeah, but I mean, he's like delivering. Here. I feel that he, I feel that uh, Jay Scott really um, uh, um, besides what it might mean for like his business or whatever, I feel like he has a, per, he feels a deep sense of personal obligation that when people that are interacting with him mm-hmm. in that relationship, I feel that there's like something beyond money or whatever, like a, like a personal sense that like he owes that person a, a level of care and service over a bunch of years of interacting with him. Yeah. I think he's just doing a good job. Yeah. Like oh, yeah, absolutely is. Yeah. But over a lot of years of dealing with guides and outfitters, I'll tell you, there's only one person I've ever shown up to and had them hand me a manila envelope with my name on it <laughs> with every, all the paperwork and, and duplicates or triplicates. In, in, in sample forms. In sample forms mm-hmm. on how you fill things out. Yeah. And he's got a real passion for those deer, especially for big, big versions of the Bucky kind. Um, I mean, that's why he does it. And he likes to spread the joy. He's not holding back. He's not know? holding the pickle recipe, uh-uh. Matt Dross. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want to say that the Drost, um, for a long time, it was his, Matt. It was his, it was his family's pickle recipe, and 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 and, and it, it was shared. It was shared. Good. It was eventually shared. Do you have it? Yeah. You I, read I, it out loud it. on the Mediator podcast. I'm not going to give you the pickle recipe. <laughs> 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 what are you talking about? <laughs> Kevin, what are your uh, you, you, uh, you know your uh, overview? You know, this is round two for me. Last year was the first time I got a chance to go chase these things, and um, I remember last year when we were we were 
packing up to leave, um, you know, we talked about coming back and I didn't hesitate to say, sign me up, right? I want to do it again. It's, it's a really special hunt. They're, they're a great critter. It's in an awesome spot. Um, it's beautiful down there, right? Going in the, up in the mountains in the desert that time of year, fantastic. Um, so all of it is like, it's a great experience all around. You know, um, people talk about a one and done hunt. No, this is not. No, like muskox or they don't know where it goes like muskox hunting. I'm sure some people do, but it's yeah. like you go once, or you, you know. Yeah, I could go do this every year. Yeah, but it's not like it's not, it's a thing. It's for me, it feels like turkeys. Mm-hmm. As soon as it ends, I'm like, dude, next, next, next year. year. Now, next yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's addictive. Oh, yeah. man, it is. It feels a bit like, you know, to me, it's it's a different critter, but the hunt's really similar. It's it's kind of like hunting Odad, like in the West Texas mountains. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of that. The hunt's really similar. Um, it's a team sport too. I think that's another really cool part of yeah. that. Um, you know, almost You're sharing all, a lot of relevant information and yeah. Um, which is kind of fun, right? You know, the traditional whitetail hunting, especially if you're an archery guy, that's a, that's an individual sport, right? You're not hanging out. It's not social sport at all. This is, this was really fun. You know, I love, I love this hunt and how, how this hunt goes down with a great group. Yeah, of it really is. It's kind of, that's a good point about it. It's not like a loner thing. I'm sure there's Mm-mm. probably some guy that does it that way, but it really invites, because there's a lot of space to go around. There's a lot of information to get shared. Hunting together mm-hmm. is very effective. Um, there's so much ground that, like, two guys can sit next to each other and you're not overlapping. Yeah. Like, you, two guys are probably going to see twice as many deer as one guy would. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have another set of eyes. Yeah. You know, I mean, together. a week of five hours a day behind the glass by yourself would be, mm-hmm. you know, one, your eyeballs would fall out, and two, your head would get probably pretty scrambled at that point, Right. So I, th- that's another part of this that I thought was, you know, yeah. that I love about this hunt. This is absolutely kind of a team sport type yeah. hunt. Yeah, I don't know even what capacity. I, I don't know the full capacity of how many, uh, um, how much more, you know, how many more people could go. You said you have like, I don't know. Well, it depends on how many tags you have at the ranch, certainly, and if everybody wants to have the opportunity to kill one. But uh, it wouldn't matter to me, uh, really. Would just to go down and hang out. I would have. I'd be like, oh, cool! I don't have to deal with the forms. I don't have to do the rifle form. <laughs> I'm like, sweet. Yeah, I'll just go. Ju- just have to get a tourist visa. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. No, in, I'm re- just in it for the glass. I had a recap call with Jay this morning. He just called to see, you know, how it went for us, and uh, we got to talking about just how important it is to. And it speaks of the team effort I and mean, how you cannot. Like once you find one, and if there's even sort of this idea that you that might be the one that you're gonna then continue to pursue and, and try to kill, it cannot leave someone's eyeballs at all times. Once you've made that decision, you have to have a hunting partner that when you say, "Are you on that deer?" They're like, "Yes," and that means I will not pee, I will not snack, I will not look to the top of the ridge, I will, when it goes behind a bush for 20 minutes, I'm not going to go start to look around for other deer. I will look at that bush until that deer walks back out. It takes that level if you want to con- like be constantly successful at, you know, at killing bucks and especially mature bucks. Do you remember when we put dirt, years ago, you remember we put dirt myth on watching a deer? Mm-hmm. Big open hillside, one juniper on it, we're like, dirt is a deer behind that juniper don't take your eyes off it and hours go by and we come back it's like it's still there I'm like there's no way it's still there and he, he let it slip he he, he scratched it could, it he been. scratched his eye man <laughs> we never went over there to check he missed know? it uh phil so let's say you do your hunter safety are you scheduled 
Uh, no, not yet. I'm still waiting for Ben to come back so we can have a talk about what the plan is, I guess. You go do hunter safety. That's a good point. Is Ben on paternity leave? Yeah. I mean, it's, I haven't gotten an update, but his child should have been Any, born yesterday. Anybody? No, oh, yeah. really? Um, oh. His wife is a little sick with a uh, infection, so uh-huh. they put off the- um, Oh, really? Yeah. So they put off the C-section for Got a couple it. days, so they're, she's going in every day and doing okay. that, so hopefully hopefully any day. Good, good luck oh, to them, wow. man. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you talk to Maggie and Tracy? They'll tell you how to do hunter safety. Yeah. I'm doing it. So let's say you did do it. You're doing it. Yes. Uh, are, are you sold? Not sold? Well, I had a talk with Cal and Ben about this. I have zero expectations, but I'm looking forward to it. No, I, I'm sorry. Are you sold on? Are, would you go down to? Oh, to Mexico specifically for Kuzi? Are you not there yet? I, I mean, I don't think I'm there yet. I think every, everyone would probably agree. <laughs> <Someone>. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like a killer experience. It sounds great. Yeah. Especially for people who've been doing this their whole lives and are still still get like jazzed about something like this, yeah. Good. I'll put you in touch with Jay. Let's do it. <laughs> Can't wait. You're gonna be the old. You're gonna be the oldest guy in hunter safety. <laughs> oh yeah, for you're sure. You're gonna be there with a bunch of twelve year olds. Uh huh. No, yeah. they'll score better. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. How old are your kids? Six uh, and one. Oh, so they're not doing it yet. No, not not quite. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, any any final thoughts, Dad? Well, if you are interested, Colburn and Scott Outfitters.com, right? Yeah. Yeah, we have you know, we keep talking about Jay, but um I don't want to be like the unsung hero, but yeah, you know, Dar his partner Dar Colburn. Mm-hmm. Who I love just as much. Yep. Yeah, he can glass him up every bit as good as Jay can. Yeah. We just didn't see him this trip, so he wasn't top of mind. No, no. I don't even know if he got it. I think he just he took his boys down for the first time to Mexico right after the holiday. That's another thing I like about Dar is he's uh, very devoted um, to training, oh, training his kids up and hunting. Well, I think that's oh, the training's over, man. He's living, <laughs> he's living, he's living the fruits of his labor right now. I mean, I think he's really like he planned that, and like you know, not everybody's kids grow up to be hardcore hunters, but like he sort of you know guided his kids to that and now they're like that's what we want to do and we want to do it with you dad and you know i think as a father he's just like yeah nothing beats this like i I did it he didn't name him hunter either did he no but one has the middle name of coos (laughs) (laughs) oh we can't leave the the final thing we gotta leave the conversation with i know that some number of people are like no, there's no, there's oh, one guy, just man. one guy. Screw him. You know what I'm going to talk about? <laughs> I think cows, cows, cows. Yeah, it's not worth it. I've <laughs> talked to the guys. Yeah, it's not worth it. And and I like to point for those of you who are like, it's not what you're supposed to say. It's cows. I've talked to the individuals who I know. I I know this like empirically, who have said the word and written the word more than anyone else in the world. And they say, coos deer. And one of them told me, and I will say it until I die. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cows or uh, whatever. Call what you want. All that matters to Just me. Just don't, don't write us about it. <laughs> is that you know what we're talking about. It's like, oh, sorry, what did you, little gray deer that hides real well? <laughs> that one? Yeah, okay. They used to call it the Arizona deer, didn't they? At one point? Long time ago? No, but Elliot cows... Kaus, Elliot Kaus, mm-hmm. uh, he had some strange beliefs. 
Uh-huh. He believed in like levitation and all kinds of stuff. Interesting dude. Read up on him sometime. <laughs> uh, that was, how about that? So people can have to write the, 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 the email about uh, that. Um, the severed finger with all the tendon. I can't decide if I'm going to put it on Instagram or not. Probably not. So don't bother looking for that. Uh, probably have to say, um, just mention uh, a big thank you for everybody who's already purchased tickets for the Meat Eater Off the oh, Air Tour. damn it, Cal. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Been getting a lot of emails on that. You know, I used to have, I used to be, I used to not like ads. You know, when they'd run an ad, like you don't run ads for free on TV, right? And they'd run an ad being like, "Hurry up and buy now." They're going fast, and I'd think, well, if they're going fast, why would you wouldn't still run the ad? Because you'd be like, those are there. They, they went. They're, they're yeah. limited supply. Like, uh, sure, but I don't buy it because if it was limited, if they were all out, you wouldn't. Pure marketing. So I don't. So I'm in a trap. I'm no, in a trap no, because no. tickets are going fast. You're telling the truth. <laughs> tickets are. Going, it's now marketing. Yeah, you know what? I'm not lying. Tickets are going fast. Portland sold out in four hours. All the VIP tickets are gone. I would guess because we're talking about Sonora and that borders Arizona. I would guess when it hits, you might get you, you could probably get Arizona tickets. Mesa, I, Phoenix market. I haven't checked. I was just saying thank you very much. Like, well, you're not selling. Tours off to a great start, and uh, we probably need to. Uh, it's not really an apology. We can't be at every city everywhere, but you know, hopefully, eventually we'll come see you. And uh, don't take it personally that we don't have a venue booked in your hometown right now. It'll happen. And I had a feverish dream where I conceptualized this thing called Dollar Dance with Cal for 20 bucks for <laughs> conservation. So if you do have a live ticket to, to come to Meteor Live off the air, uh, bring 20 bucks because you might need it <laughs> if you want to dance with Cal in a little spotlight. And we're going to be marching. Cal's going to – you better think about getting some better shoes, Cal. I, Let's say you had to dance with a couple hundred people. Cal's speechless. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, the logistics of this. Um, you, you want me to cancel it? How could you cancel something with a name like Dollar Dance with Cal for 20 bucks for conservation? I mean, that's like the stuff. That's a great name. Yeah, and I'm a sucker for <laughs> things that, that go to conservation, so I, we can't cancel it. We just got to figure out a way to make what it you know, function. Like. <laughs> Maybe little kisses. <laughs> Like kisses. <laughs> you, it's going to be Kiss 99% Cal. male. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> kiss Cal for 20 bucks for conservation. Oh. Just a big old kissing line. Anyway. <laughs> it's your chance. I'm going to be there chaperoning. I don't want anyone goosing them. <laughs> I don't want anyone goosing them or grabbing them in any kind of untoward fashion. <laughs> uh, Detroit. When I, when I say these, a lot of times the, like the mar- it's like the market. So like the Detroit, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Boston, Fe- Phoenix, Philly, Pittsburgh, Boston, DC, DC, Minneapolis. Did I say that? Yeah, no, we're going back to Mini. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Did the Portland, f- the Frederick, the sorry, the Frederick, Maryland. Is that the DC show? That's right. Okay. In the parlance of tour agents, that's the D.C. market. Oh, yes. But it's not in D.C. Yeah. And, 
Yeah, a lot of love on the last time. This tour, it's a lot of love to people who live in 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 uh, areas where their lifestyle doesn't get a lot of support. I feel right. Oh, like they're not out. Yeah, talking, like, you know, like, like Denver, Salt Lake City. It's like, yeah, I mean, like you know, gazillions of people who like hunt and fish, right? But I kind of like that uh, doing L.A., San Francisco, Portland. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because sure. those are places where tickets go fastest, which is the weirdest thing. Because it's like, oh, thank God. Remember in Spinal Tap, that dude's like, civilization. <laughs> um, did you get that reference, Phil? You too old for that? Too young? Uh, absolutely not. No. You didn't get it? No, you don't know Spinal Tap. Uh, no, man. absolutely not. I'm not too young for that. Oh, no. okay. So you Turn get a good Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap is one of my favorite movies. Turn it up to 11, Never Phil. Never laughed harder in my life than when they bring the little Stonehenge monument down. <laughs> Stonehenge. And it's tiny. <laughs> crank dancing around. <laughs> crank did, crank did it ma- to 11. Oh, uh, sorry. Did you mention the uh, LA market? Oh, yeah. We talked about LA. All right. Good. Good. Just checking. Make sure. Chicago. Oh, didn't mention Chicago. Yeah. Is Anaheim L.A. or what do we call L.A.? That's Anaheim's right. Anaheim's L.A. Anaheim is L.A. I tried to reach out to the Cashmere Killer see if he can come out, but I haven't gotten hurt. Yeah, I, I got to prompt him. Oh, again. Brian Callan, come yeah. on! Uh, all right, guys, thank you very much for joining. Don't go coos deer hunting. Uh, don't want to ruin a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but do right. go to the live shows. Yeah, tell Jay you buy now. Tickets are going fast. Tell Jay you won't pay more than twenty five hundred bucks. Jay's gonna be at the Mesa. Uh, oh yeah, we're gonna have Jay on stage in Mesa. Yeah, give you some real. I'm gonna have Jay come out and and Jay's gonna give us his top five Arizona hunting tips. Ooh. Or he can do fishing tips too. He fishes a lot. He does. He fishes Colorado. Yeah. How about top five Arizona hunting tips and top two Colorado fishing tips? And uh, Yanni's gonna learn how to do a drum roll. I think we should let him do top ten. He's got a lot in that cabeza of his. That was good Spanish. That was good Spanish. You know what vaca means? I do. Baño? But I think it's pronounced vaca. Casa? I'm I'm still getting it. Guajalote? Yep. Banado? Got it. Carne? Banado, hembra. Solamente? What's hembra? Remember that one? It's more Spanish than he spoke all week. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know that one, man. That's dope. Dope. Oh, damn it, Doe? Yeah. I always laugh because one of your favorite stories is uh, Cabeza de Vaca. <laughs> yeah, but I know all those words. <laughs> all right, go do something else. Thanks, guys. Thanks.